Hi folks and welcome to episode 14 of The Point of Everything. Thanks a lot for joining us. My name is Ono Sullivan and today on the show I'm joined by Chris Summers and Podrick Omani. Chris Summers from Elastic Sleep, Podrick Omani, who I do a football podcast with, Fly Goalies. Um, big news, the big news this week was that Pitchfork had been bought by Condé Nast for an undisclosed sum. So that's the main thing that myself and Chris Summers talk about. It's quite a wide-ranging interview though. It uh, we talk about the dandy and the beano and Buster as well. Uh, we we discuss enemy and Arctic monkeys, and we we somehow manage to link them all together. Now there's also a little bit of talk about Lynched, uh, the Dublin kind of folk band who are on Jules Holland on Tuesday, and they'll be on it again on Friday. That's the first part of the show. And then about 50 minutes in or, or thereabouts, uh, myself and Paddy discuss Ryan Adams and Taylor Swift and ryan adams decision to cover taylor swift so if you like either artist or you're intrigued by it or you don't know how to feel about that situation well why not let uh, us try and try and guide you through your feelings you can subscribe to the podcast on itunes and soundcloud and mixcloud it's up there too you can like uh, the point of everything on facebook and twitter is tpoe blog and if you like the podcast why not tell a friend that'd be nice so here first of all is myself and chris summers of elastic sleep discussing Condé nast buying pitchfork I still use it every day, Chris, and when I suggested this idea that this is what we'd be talking about today, you were less, not less enthusiastic about talking about it, but you were, weren't enthusiastic about Pitchfork itself. Is that fair? Um, yeah, that's that'll be fair. I don't think I'd probably spend, well, I've read a good portion of reviews and articles on the site, but I don't know, nothing's really pulled me in. Um, I don't know if it's just my perspective because I play music and... I, when I see review, I kind of, I don't know, I just have like my own feelings about the idea of music criticism, and and reviewing music music in general, and and like, you know, what the deciding factors on a credible source are. What, what do you look for in a music website nowadays? So, are you, are you looking for new music? Are you looking for opinions on the name music? of my band? <laughs> Just Google search Elastic Sleep and if it's yeah that's all I want to see in the music and a good a good music site will 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 have those two words. <laughs> Damn it, we're still not on stereo gum. Um, but I mean, like, what are you looking for apart from Elastic Sleep? I mean, like, do you do you have like these five set websites that you're looking for? Or? Um, well, you mentioned Stereo Gum, and it's one of the it's one of the websites that or one of the blogs that I'd kind of you know. Most of the time, I end up at these at these um, sites or whatever because of premieres, and that's a very clever. That's it's been a very like clever innovation in terms of music promotion and stuff like that. Uh, I know more about websites that I would never have visited in a million years through um, videos and tracks premiering. Yeah, I you know, and same with the mute. Like I discovered more sites than music through this whole premiering thing just which might seem like a bit of an offshoot but that's just kind of how i've come to see uh, a number of the kind of sites that you're talking about stereo gun pitchfork or whoever and in terms of what i look for um i suppose i'm just kind of i can i'd have to start by saying talking about what i'm not looking for personally which is um uh, reviews and reviewers who are kind of like trying to make a career out of 
controversial reviews or saying something oh wow i can't believe that you know and it just seems to be a lot of there just seems to be a great deal of this is my opinion and it's it's almost like the the reviews are albums in themselves you know it's just like they need to be interpreted and like oh wow that was a really you know incredible uh incredibly shocking opinion or that was so spot on or or not whatever do you know what i'm saying uh i do i think I don't know about controversial reviews. I mean, Pitchfork doesn't really have controversial reviews. You know, it has very well, mm, I would say, well-articulated reviews, five five a day, which everybody kind of knows the the very basic idea of how they work the review system and that it's not a personal opinion. It's kind of, that's kind of the, the team idea of what, the, you know, we're going to give the girl band album whatever it got. What did it get? 7.8 or something? 7.8 or 6.8 or a point eight anyway, you know. Yeah. Um, I think really... I think it was 7.8. You know, that, w- that wasn't that writer's opinion. That was, you know, kind of the general opinion in the pitchwork room of this is what we're going to give it. I think um, Kendrick Lamar is probably its highest, the highest rated review on Pitchfork this year. It's, it got over 9. Over 9, nine for think, yeah. Pimp of Butterfly, yeah. Yeah. So I think that got about 9.3 or something like that. And I think it's indicative of the way that some of these blogs, you know, it's quaint to talk about the likes of Pitchfork and Stereogum as blogs, but that's what they started out as. Well, they're brands um, now, essentially. Well, I guess, yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, they've kind of gravitated more towards uh, rap music. You know, they all started as, you know, indie rock, you know, American mm. indie rock, you know, yeah. the likes of Broken Social Scene and Arcade Fire made their name off the backs of you know they kind of i'd heard you scratched pitch- oh, sorry i just i'd heard that pitchfork started as a rap um review site but i could be way off i i honestly i don't really know what it was back in 1995 i only kind of came across it in the mid 2000s off you know it was kind of uh you scratched my back i'll scratch yours mm. of arcade fire and pitchfork you know they both kind of uh got big off the other I guess, yeah. sort of thing, you know? I mean, Pitchfork definitely benefited from the likes of Arcade Fire and Broken Social scene and um, tons of other bands, you know, of that ilk. And mm. uh, what was what was that show? Oh, uh, The O.C. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You well, know, the, when you when you think of The O.C., I don't know if you've seen it. I think of, like, what didn't Bell X1 or something or, like, you know, three or four Irish artists yeah, a year would them, yeah, talk yeah. about getting their really interesting song. Yeah, uh, draped over an even more interesting, uh, dramatic season finale of the OC, under <laughs> six feet under or whatever. I'm sure the thrills are on on the OC as well. Remember the thrills? Um, yeah, that was about ten years ago that they were big. I thought you were going to say that was about ten minutes. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah. Though one of them is the manager of Little Green Cars. Yeah, and another band actually, um, Other Creatures. I think they're called. Um, they supported uh, us in Dublin Wheelands, and I was. I know. I don't think they've done many gigs. They've oh, supported okay. Little Green Cars in Vicker Street and in Cork Opera House. Yeah, yeah, last yeah. year. Oh, right. I thought they were terrible. You didn't like them. Uh, I think so. Yeah. I thought they they had one or two um, songs in particular. There's like, wow, Jesus, package them up, put them on a forty-five, and yeah. all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I really like them. Okay. <laughs> um, I don't know. I I wasn't. I think that I was just excited about seeing little green cars that night. So I was kind of more focused on that. Um, but the thing with going back to Pitchfork, it's uh, Condé Nast's chief executive. I'm reading this from the New York Times. It's uh, His name is Bob 
Bob Sanderberg, he said the deal, quote, reinforces our commitment to building Condé Nast's premium digital network, focusing on distinctive editorial voices and engaging high-value millennial audiences, end quote. Uh, That's a paradox, high-value and millennial. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think it is. I think that it's... uh, it is definitely there for the taking, you know, like so many people, those millennials, when you think of them, you think of startups and, you know, oh, tons, I don't know, tons of money floating around. You know, you think of Web Summit and like the how expensive Web Summit tickets are and yeah. uh, all the like millennials is more of an American word uh, that gets used all the time over there rather than over here. Maybe I don't I, know why. But. I thought it was reference. I thought it was a generation or like a, a reference to like the generation of the last 10 to 15 years. I was just kind of being uh, obnoxious about, oh, I don't know, my generation. Well, maybe it's just that they ran out of, um, uh, you know, X generation, Y generation. Yeah, the millennial thing. It's, yeah. good, it's good. We'll just call them millennials. It'll be fine. But um, yeah, and... I was, yeah, uh, Ryan Schreiber, the co-founder of Pitchfork, he gave an interview to the Chicago Tribune. Chicago is where um, Pitchfork is based along with uh, an office in Brooklyn. And he was asked, uh, were you the primary owner of Pitchfork? Did you have any other investors? And he said, uh, Pitchfork has been independent for its entire lifespan. Uh, He says the sale is a major development. Going forward, we'll be running our editorial operations with the same voice that got us to this point my partner pitchfork president chris kasky and i were the owners of pitchfork we never had any other investors and then he's asked uh, if all your operations to date have been financed through your own earnings and he says that's absolutely the case this is a big moment uh are you surprised at that 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 you know all the operations to date were financed through their own earnings um i suppose i'd have to know more about how the the company grew um to, to answer honestly i mean it's it seems impressive if the, the, you know and i suppose there's a bit more credibility in there if um if they've just been doing it off their own backs uh but then again i don't know i would call i would i would see you know you're talking about investors i guess um there's a that has a specific meaning in this context in terms of business but i would see um you know major labels are uh promoters or whoever you want you know people of that ilk um as being investors in that website too buying advertising advertising on a site that's reviewing the product that's being advertised on the site yeah and it's like you see the advertising that's on it um like the brooklyn lager and things like that it is very much this is what the you know the mid to late 20s people who are reading this website are uh going to to be drinking you know yeah you know it's it's like converse is always advertised on pitchfork and it's got all those kind of like cool labels pseudo cultural touchstone was the word you used earlier no you didn't (laughs) i wish i used that word um but yeah like uh, there are so many things that you can nitpick with pitchfork um the fact that they gave a very easy uh interview to um uh, the Nine Inch Nails guy, Trent, uh, Trent Reznor, yeah, um, he's involved with Apple Music, and so when it was when Apple Music was first announced a couple of months ago, mm. Pitchfork is actually announced as like one of its kind of partners. It's gonna have, uh, you know, like a kind of a, a playlist station on there, sort of thing, something Ooh, like that. Two albums for everyone for the next <laughs> ten years. Um, but yeah, so Pitchfork was kind of involved in Apple Music, and 
trying to imagine what I thought got it. I found it was a really odd interview in that it was so light, you know, it was no yeah kind of tough questioning about why Trent Reznor was was involved and I remember talking about it with um uh Stephen Witt the author of How Music Got Free I interviewed him a couple of weeks ago and I talked to him about this and he was like yeah it was a really odd interview mm-hmm. um so yeah I think Pitchfork it does like I don't take its reviews as gold uh, mm-hmm. you know like they give girl band 7.8 and you know I was like, why are they giving it so low, you know? Because it's in, no, you, you do, re, like, the timing of the Pitchfork one, the, our review of Girl Band, like, I think they're probably the last site or the last of the bigger sites or blogs or or whatever to have reviewed it. And I don't think, I think you might have actually mentioned that to me or it might have been somebody else, but I don't think that's a coincidence. I don't think it's the most calculated thing in the world, but at the, you know, at the end of the day, here we are talking about, you know, uh, what you find to be a very uh, middling review of what you think is a fantastic album. Um, and, you know, I think that, yeah, it's probably, I don't think it's a coincidence that it was the last site to do it because now it's, it, you know, that's the one that seems to be on people's uh, minds yeah, and lips. You know? Yeah, maybe. Um, but I do think Pitchfork does do a lot of really good articles um, as well. Like, I mean, the news-wise, leaves a lot to be desired in that it it's like uh, what did I, I saw a post this week about it where it was basically said pitchfork is you know covering all of kendrick lamar's like eye movements or <laughs> you know his eyebrow raises or something like that it's uh like it, you know as well as you know chairlift returned with a new song uh watch father john misty perform live on kimmel you know it has lots of other more questionable bits of news but um under its uh, which i think is a more recent development called the pitch it's just got kind of middle to long features on on various things like it's got a feature on patty smith's new book um uh, patty smith's m train is the happiest depiction of melancholy melancholia <laughs> uh which went up yesterday and it's all it's always got really interesting things i would almost go to pitchfork as much for the pitch as i would for the reviews now but just trying to differentiate between the pitch and the reviews are these kind of like snappy uh, with the pitch is the pitch to do branding oh well of course it's always branding (laughs) owns always going to be branding but like are these like succinct little reviews of of stuff other than music or just um no it's not a review it's basically it's basically just features okay you know they could have easily called it features but but it's the pitch the pitch so yeah, I mean, like, I I've, I've, I always post them on, on the Point of Everything Facebook page just because I think they're really interesting or, you know, like, they have um, uh, sections from books, you know, that are... Extracts and stuff extracts, like that. Extracts, yeah. yeah, and uh, I, I just think that they're interesting and it's kind of, it's how it's developed. People don't want just, you know, it it's keeping people on the website as well as what's important and I guess that that's why Condé Nast is so... Um, pulled towards it i mean uh you're asking if beforehand if um we knew how much it had sold for mm. uh we don't because the figure wasn't released i think it's upwards of 200 million would be my guess because pitchfork isn't just a website you know it's a brand it's a brand it's uh it's a music festival it's, got, it's uh, we, me and breed were very close to going to pitchfork paris this year we still haven't um and we're not going this year but uh you know i just thought it had a a great lineup and it's kind of and it gets criticism for that as well i mean 
you'd probably the festival the idea that it, it gets on these bands really early mm. and builds them and builds them and then you know has them on on the on the festival lineup as well yeah like i mean that's the conflict of interest i kind of was trying to very subtly allude to that with the investors and advertising and stuff like that you know how much ad space are universal going to buy if so and so gets a shitty review you know and i think yeah to me it's just it just seems like a, a total conflict of interest to to have bands on you know a festival that you're you know that is being run by uh, yeah. you know um, a website or magazine or whatever you want to call it that's dedicated to criticizing i don't know maybe i'm way off um i i i specifically on the pitchfork website now just because i was intrigued to see what their advertising would be and today for some reason there's no advertising on it i know is that already the condé nast effect they're just like no we don't want any advertising on the website cool maybe i'm very informed <laughs> jim carroll in the irish times was writing about this on um wednesday Who? I think jim carroll oh of the irish times on the record uh, he was writing about this. He was, he's just saying that um, they're not just buying it for the album reviews, Condé Nast. They're buying it for the empire building. The empire building. And he specifically points to them saying that, you know, the majority of people on the website are young males as well. And obviously, you know, you can is argue. Is that a statistic or is that just a um, uh, it, shot in the dark? It's a quote that he points to from the from um, Schreiber. Uh, I can't find it right Okay, um, no, I was just wondering. Yeah. But um, yeah, he was just saying, you know, they have access to the... Well, he says that they have access to these details and stuff. I don't know how they do. Do people know that I'm a male, a, you know, 28-year-old male surfing the... You were about to say young male. <laughs> I was going to say young male, yeah. Aging male. Um, surfing the webs, you know, surfing pitchfork. How do they know that? Hmm. Well, maybe... Well, okay, actually, let me think about it. You're posting pitchfork articles onto your Facebook page. Oh, okay, right. Illuminati. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I thought it was an interesting article. Jim Carroll draws a parallel to um, NME and how they've kind of gone a different way. Well, first of all, he points out that Pitchfork does have a print magazine now, a quarterly magazine, which is, you know, you can buy it. Um, I've got a couple of issues, actually. You got it. Were you complaining about the price before? Yeah, yeah, it's 15 euro, I think, for, you know, it's, it is 200 pages. Hmm. Um, but I had to, I was like, if, if you bought it from like the Pitchfork website yeah. in America, uh, and you wanted to ship it over here, I think it'd cost you like 50 quid. Wow. Um, so I was like, oh, I'm never going to get this. And so I was just on the roughtrade.co.uk website and, uh, yeah, they were selling the Pitchfork magazine so you can get it for 15 quid there. And it is, it is really, really good. So they got into, you know, print publication. I think, you know, these glossy magazines, these high quality, you know, mm. 200 pages, you know, this is what you want. Uh, you know, you put it on your bookshelf and you want people to see it sort of thing. And then enemy has gone the other way in, uh, they've gone free in the past month, um, after sales tanked, you know, sub. 18,000 copies being sold. Oh, that is very that is incredibly low. What about what are the sales figures like for Hot Press I wonder? Um uh, the last time I saw apparently they were around 17,000 Hot Press. Yeah, for uh, And it was 18,000 on NME. Yeah, apparently. That yeah. is an incredible disparity considering the population of the the two countries. Yeah, I think it's like it's just the way 
uh, enemy is gone. You know, I mean, you could see that 15 years ago, even though I loved enemy 15 years ago and 10 years ago. And when you were a young man. When I was a, when I was a, a young millennial, you mm. know, just finding my millennial, my millennial shoes. So it's okay. You're in your second adolescence. So, <laughs> um, uh, so yeah, pit, um, enemies gone free. You can't actually get it in Cork anymore. I don't think you can. No, it's, do they just do it door to door in the UK? <laughs> um, like the Cork news, which is <laughs> um, gone. No, it's you can get it in Topman. Ah, oh, in cool. England. Yeah, yeah. Cool. You know that's those. Those are the types of brands that it wants to be associated with. But judging by the cover stories so far, um, Taylor Swift is on the latest cover. I think it was Robert 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 Pattinson on the last one, wasn't it? Was it? I think so. I remember seeing it and going, "New Musical Express, Robert Pattinson." <laughs> Well, he's no Nicholson or De Niro, <laughs> but I guess so. Actually, no, I didn't say I guess so. I just thought, what the fuck? <laughs> um, Folds are actually the latest cover uh, stars. They're the first like proper band that's been on it since it's gone free. It's had um, Chris Moyles, you know, that controversial Radio 1 DJ. Um, he's 44 years old. 44. Not that you know, mid forties. Yeah. Uh, not that that matters or anything. Um, it's also had Rihanna and Taylor Swift on it, and yeah, uh, Pattinson as well. So it's definitely making a push for a different kind of audience. But it also seems like it doesn't know its audience anymore. Um, yeah. It's I mean, I mean, moving target, I suppose. Did you, or when would have been the last time that you bought Enemy, or have you ever bought it? When I was in it. Oh yeah? No, uh, yeah, that's that, I just wanted to say that as arrogantly as possible. <laughs> um actually no, I stand corrected. I didn't actually buy that copy. I thought I'll go and get that. Yeah, no, we just got like a little uh, review in like the newcomers section or whatever. Um and I went to buy it and then I for no, I didn't actually go to buy it. I just forgot and I was like, "Oh, I'm sure they'll have it in like an archive." You know like you used to be able to do that with the Beano and Sandy <laughs> get back issues if he sent in. I got one before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a complete aside, but when's the last time I bought the one? The Beano or the Dandy? Yeah, you sent away for a oh, I, there was like this. Um, okay, I'm gonna make this really short. There was this like 60th anniversary uh, edition of the Beano, or no, the uh, yeah, the no, the Dandy, and I had it, and my sister trashed it, uh, and I was uh, appalled. <laughs> so I wrote to DC, DNC Thompson, or DC Thompson, uh, in tears, saying, "I can't believe my sister destroyed this. Can I please, please, please have another copy? I treasure this thing because it had a load of reprints uh, from the first issue." of the dandy inside it uh, and yeah they actually sent me out one i couldn't believe it but i think you can also get back copies yeah wow were you more of a beano guy or a dandy guy uh i started on the dandy but i prefer the beano yeah bastry kids big time yeah <laughs> i won a competition um when i was like seven for this huge like toy gara garage i yeah. was gonna say garage garage, <laughs> um, garage. from buster magazine do you remember buster yes buster yeah. was really good value i remember that yeah my brother always got it and i just entered this competition when i was like seven won the garage you won the garage well but like what was what, what goes in the garage like was oh there were toy cars oh okay it was okay. really really big it was like a force oh like a four-story <laughs> four micro machines type was it yeah, a micro machines yeah. one uh I maybe it, i can't remember i remember an ad for that micro machines garage or hot wheels um yeah, yeah it, was, it was something along those lines but i always remember you know ever since then you know when whenever you see people who win the lotto and their quote is uh you know i've never won anything in my life you know <laughs> if i win the lotto 
I wouldn't say that just because I've always had the garage. You know, from a very early age, yeah. I won that, and so I can't really rely on that anymore. I never, yeah, I'm not big on on winning. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna <laughs> you know, yeah, I'm gonna wait for for that for that lotto moment. Um, where were we? Oh, you were going to the shop to buy enemy. Um. Oh yeah. When's the last time I bought enemy? Um. I don't know. The last time I know somebody who bought enemy. Uh, was two thousand and nine, I think. Wow, that was so, yeah six years ago. So I don't know. It's but but it never really. I don't know. There was always hot press here, so I didn't. I, and enemy was a lot more difficult to to find. I think especially <laughs> especially in Cork. Like I probably would have bought it a lot more if it was if 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 it had been more kind of commonplace in the news agents I would have gone to. Um, but the fact that it's got yeah, so basically it's now. A free magazine being distributed through Topman and other kind of um, high street clothes stores. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure where else you can get it in England, just because you know I don't need to worry about that anymore. No, but it does. Uh, they do want to make a big play with Enemy.com, and so you know the they've digital got, side of things. So they've got so much clickbait type things. Mm. You know, so much of that, and it's 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 hard. I find it quite hard to read now as well you know just just the website just browsing it whereas i found pitchfork much easier because it it is less clickbaity despite some of the news items that they write i I definitely agree with you there it's more about um yeah pitchfork does seem more concerned about getting people to read the whole thing rather than being kind of headline centric um which is the kind of the downfall of a lot of uh not just music websites but i don't know feature websites or culture websites or whatever you know just when when all you need to read is the headline and you feel like you've pretty you know that you that that that's it that's all that you needed to know you know seven words or whatever um just coincidentally yesterday uh i saw enemy.com had a piece uh 10 years of i bet you look good on the dance floor the full story of arctic monkeys breakout hit and i do associate arctic monkeys with enemy you know going back 10 years yeah that's they they would strike me as one of those bands that you can talk about earlier the kind of the bigging up the mutual the mutually Mm. uh, beneficial relationship of a young band and a uh and a I, i really i'm like just I don't know what to call it. Is Enemy. it like a music blog or is it a magazine or is it... Uh, yeah. Music um, criticism. I don't know. I'm just, I'm just looking... Yeah, no I, don't think it, I don't think it is any one of those things. I think it's a, it is a mishmash of, of it all and I guess it's still finding its feet. But as well as that piece... After 40 years. After 40 years, Or more yeah. than 40 years. Like, I mean, it, it's quite a good... Piece, you know, they have a little video interview with Alex Turner writing about or um, talking about how how we wrote I Bet You Look Good on the Dance Floor. Um, and it's good, it's good. And then it's five geeky facts about the song that mm. it has in the piece. You know, it, it just can't resist this click uh, clickbaity thing. And like they are, I guess they're facts about the song. What's fact number one? Just fact number one is the video was filmed live in the style of the old grey whistle test. The band even hired old cameras that were used on the programme, although they were stopped short of wheeling out whispering Bob Harris. Like, everybody knows that. You know, you can tell that straight away, can't you, from watching the video? Oh, that's filmed old style. Oh, it must yeah. be a take on the old grey whistle test, which I've seen videos of on YouTube. Maybe they have it done, like, in reverse. Maybe five is the most interesting fact. Go, Just go for one and five. The middle we don't need. Well, number five isn't even a fact about the song. Other new entries in the UK singles chart this week included uh, or um, 
the week dance floor went to number one in October yeah. 2005 included Pete Doherty's collaboration with the Little Ends, uh, Their Way, which was new in at 22. McFly had the second highest new entry, reaching number three with I Wanna Hold You. So they talk about five geeky facts about the song. That is not... That is not a fact about the song, no. nor is it geeky. Yeah, they're, they're kind of whoops. So it's like, I don't know, Enemy just needs to be, you know slapped outside the head it just needs to what are you doing you know you've got to sounds like you're ready to take control of the situation i'm ready to take control i do remember in my school yearbook my friend was asked where do you see owen in 10 years time and he said uh writing for the enemy (laughs) so you know 10 years on i'm kind of like oh man i need to need to step up my game oh i don't know i think i think that person had a very bad impression of you Um, were you big into Arctic Monkeys? Just I, I remember I was like on some family holiday in Disneyland, and I bought. Uh, I remember, yeah, that album had just come out, and everyone was going mental. Um, and I bought that album, and I bought Led Zeppelin one. Uh, at the, at the same store, I'd never heard listened to Led Zeppelin before, but I was reading a book about them. Um, but yeah, I listened to the Arctic Monkeys album, and I think there was only one. Um. Uh, Scum, the one about the scummy men that tune yeah. scummy i think it's called is it, is it just called yeah that that was the only one that like jumped out at me i really didn't get it at all um they're definitely one of those bands that we, we were talking about this last the last time i was here you know the like bands like the chili peppers and the foo fighters that just seem to mm. influence an entire generation and therefore you just like hear you know thousands of copycat bands starter bands whatever i think arctic monkeys are definitely one of those bands so i don't know yeah, there was something about it at the at the time. I was I was very skeptical about the whole thing. Wow, even then. Uh, yeah, even when I was a much younger, <laughs> uh, second adolescent, um, I was very skeptical. Yeah, no, there's definitely. I, I can see. I I can understand the appeal. I don't see why it is as how how it is has been as far reaching as it has been. I kind of thought they were going to do their thing and then just kind of peter out, but it seems like they just got even more massive with whatever the last thing yeah. they did was well they've completely changed their sound as well you know they were you know uh stro- strokes a j sort of thing talk um on i bet you look good on the dance floor you know for uh would it come out they would have written it in 2004 so three years after hearing mm. uh the likes of last night by the strokes and you can definitely hear uh that that type of uh sound in the first album and then they kind of got interesting which coincided with them you know, hang out with Josh Homme. Yeah, I'd heard that that second, um, is it um, uh, Brian Child or something like that? Or it's like a play on Brian Child or... Uh, um, yeah, I can't think of what it is. Brian Storm. Brian Storm, that's it. I've heard that's supposed to be quite a good album. It's so much heavier yeah. than anything that's on the first album. And like Matt Elder's got, the drummer got built for that album. Like his, he's... His arms are like double the size and his drumming is double the speed. Yeah, I think I remember it was Crying Lightning on that album. Or I think that was on the next one. I'm just kind of like trying to think about how, about what, you know, what little of their music I know from after that first album. Um, so you just like didn't pay attention to them afterwards at all, no? No, no. I kind of went over to Led Zeppelin and then ah, stuck, so- I stuck with them for a short while and I was like, nah, they just fucking ripped off a lot of my favorite blues artist so sad that too <laughs> um but yeah the i just yeah just kind of didn't didn't like stick with me or for whatever reason don't know why stuck with me and here you are <laughs> um yeah i guess what else will we talk about um 
did you watch Lynch's performance on uh, Jules Holland? Um, I actually missed their performance on it because I, I I just saw a lot of people were kind of raving about the fact that they were going to be on um, and that they're say, a Dublin folk group and I looked at them playing in Whelan's I think or something like that or some live video I think it might have been it might have been Miles O'Reilly or someone like that had recorded them but uh, yeah it seemed seemed good um, I, I wonder I wonder how I wonder how they got it not in a spiteful way or anything like that but I'm just curious because um, it seems uh, like the name is predominant I've, I've only really heard the name since uh, earlier this week yeah uh, I, people are kind of raving about the fact that they were going to be on the same shows you know slavered mods and all that um well uh ray wingnut and nile or nine both pointed to the fact that uh those two bands sleeper mods and lynch are on the parlor tv sh- um tv show you know it was that yeah YouTube the online um, yeah. yeah the one that uh wingnut and a couple of other people in dublin were running out of the, the upstairs in wheelands really yeah, good really that's good it uh, yeah it was really good um they were both on the first episode together sleeper mods oh, yeah. and well I guess Sleeper Mods, the interview was done earlier, so they didn't have yeah. any interaction with Lynch. But uh, not, uh, Nile or Nine writing about uh, Lynch's appearance on the show, they were just saying, oh, maybe they just happened to see Sleeper Mods on this thing. They watched it and they liked the sound of Lynch. Yeah, could be. Um, maybe maybe Lynch will come forward and uh, kind of say how they managed to get it, or maybe it's just they were on it. They have a, do they have an album out at the moment, or are they on a campaign? Not, not a new album. Um, mm. You know, the they're still p- the only album that they have is the one that they were promoting on the parlor um show that was a while ago that was last year last may which you know it, it passed me by and yeah uh, i don't know i i hadn't heard of them before like this week or the last week yeah um who knows maybe this will be a kind of a, a launch pad for them i hadn't heard them uh like i said before this week um yeah, I'll I'll have to check out the the performance. To be honest, before I could say any any more about it, did you watch it? Actually, uh, I'm going to ask you. Are you always giving me the hard hitting questions? I'm going to ask <laughs> you a question. Did you watch it, Owen? Uh, what did you think about it? Oh, that is a really hard hitting question. Uh, yeah. Speak very frankly. So yeah, I did watch it. I uh, I really enjoyed it as well. Um, what's it called? It's uh, Father Had a Knife and mm. Slash Salonika. They've kind of got you know that Damien Dempsey Dublin drawl on them you know a touch of the rare old times yeah um not that there's anything wrong with that and i did no. like the fact that the acoustic guitar player uh was wearing a jimmy cake t-shirt as oh. well some i saw someone on twitter just asked oh is this the first time jimmy cake have been on Holland? that's good but uh they were on fair city jimmy cake did, well yeah did you see that clip around the time there they were doing um yeah, you know, the shows up and down the country to promote the most recent album. There was like a somebody put up online, or I think they put up online like this mangled old VHS copy, copied um, uh, showing of like Fair City, and like oh, someone goes into a cafe and it's like, "Can I get time off? I want to go into town and see Jimmy Cake tonight." It's like <laughs> the Jimmy Cake, blah 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 blah. I don't know, you know, usual Fair City gold dialogue, but it just that was absolutely <laughs> mental that they got referenced. I don't know, maybe the writer knew someone or something but yeah sorry just so they've they've been they've made it onto jules holland and fair city wow how many bets can i that on their cv either end of the television spectrum (laughs) um niall does make niall and nine does make uh um the interesting point of talking about how their first um lynch's first tv appearances on uk tv rather than irish tv and he just says it's a lack of lack of outlets here showcasing live irish music 
um, which I think is kind of interesting, you know? I mean... Yeah, big time. I mean, when... Uh, what band was I talking about? I think I was talking about Dylan Haskins, you know, that guy who ran for election up in Dublin a couple of years ago, really young guy. I was trying to explain him to a friend. You know, he kind of had the floppy fringe. He records a podcast with Lisa Hannigan called okay. Soundings. Um, no, I don't think I do. Okay, well, he used to be... Maybe you'll know him from this. He used to be the presenter of tube or you know that kind of rtt show that was on before the simpsons yeah yeah yeah. used to be on that a couple years ago and you know still in that slot i don't know what it is now but it seems like they do kind of still have some new irish bands on there i always just associate dylan haskins with heathers and heathers always being on before the simpsons yeah god yeah that's definitely there's some nostalgia senses tingling there (laughs) but like that seems to be the only kind of outlet for Irish music and yeah. television. Apart from, you know, uh, well, no, other that's voices. Not, uh, Keola Rimmel. Keola Rimmel is, um, that's And that's true, been yeah. a staple. On um, RTE maybe, I guess. Yeah, I suppose if you're, if you're talking, yeah. Um, Very little on TV3 as well. Oh, TV3. Anything? Um, oh, our, uh, Leave You, the, the Elastic Sleep track was used uh, on, on, during a, a sh- an expose bit before Ooh. a catwalk thing. I've never seen it. I only know this because Emmett O'Brien, who made the video... Um, recorded it he, like he he heard it like through the kitchen I don't know um, <laughs> so there's a little bit in there in TV3 no but sorry that was a complete aside you're you're yeah you're right there's there's nothing on TV3 but in general there is very little yeah it seems like it'd be so easy to do wouldn't it yeah um, but I guess low the, budget and... uh, yeah it, well it, I guess it's the audience it's a gamble either way because mm-hmm. there's a there's I guess the audience isn't there in the way that it was when other voices started off. Um, maybe, you know, or a show like that, which would I would No, that that came after No Disco, didn't it? But No Disco oh, was voices, more. Yeah. Yeah. No Disco was more like a profiling. Um, I barely show. remember No Disco. Really? You're three years older than me. So you yeah. Should, yeah. What were you doing? Like, I don't know. Probably reading NME. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I was always more into words as a young man. <laughs> I've become more of a visual learner now. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it, it does seem like a real missed opportunity. Um, but then again, you've got the lads from uh, the parlor kind of coming in and and, uh, and and filling that gap. I don't know. Will they have a season two or not? Hopefully they do. Yeah, uh, I haven't heard anything. I do, I do hope they, they do. Like, I mean, it's not a bad thing. Just... Um, putting these different acts together you know with interesting um conversations interspersed throughout as well and it's good production too which you know it's so much easier to make something like that now and you can do it on a shoestring budget imagine if you actually had a decent budget from rte imagine if you had a budget imagine if you had a budget what you could do yeah no there's uh, i'd imagine it'd be tough in rte because i'd say there's a lot of bureaucracy and even if you do have a budget allocations and stuff like that it's it's I, I would would want to oversimplify um, how the difficulty or the effort that you'd have to go to to, to make something like you know another other voices or type of other voices type show, but you know you consider what the lads with the parlor do for instance. Um, I'd imagine with with no budget and it's like it's seriously impressive. Yeah, you know that maybe couple like I'm trying to think of other kind of stuff like that. There's also the press record series, although that's more one shot you know one shots yeah. like um as in individual or two tracks by a band with 
not uh, kind of interviews for context or whatever the have you seen the press record series yeah yeah I've, I've i've seen a good few live videos yeah yeah and it seems like a marriage between something like the parlor and press record you know and it, you know and if you could, if you can yeah. get a budget in with that you know for something you know for, with those two combined you know then you'd have like a, a seriously high quality production show either online or maybe pitch it to tv yeah i guess i guess once you go to the likes of rt you know uh, you have to compromise. You can't be independent. You know, you've got yeah. to. Uh, it can't be like pitchfork. Well, you can have lynched on, but we also want someone like Ryan Sheridan on as well. Yeah, pretty much. Um, and I don't know, maybe ORT doesn't understand the type of audience that they can get, or you know, or that's out there. Maybe, yeah. maybe it's maybe the audience just isn't there. Yeah, I that's mean, a sad thing to think about. Yeah, I mean, even... And that's the thing that seems impossible to answer unless they actually go ahead and do it. Yeah, you have to take the risk. And unfortunately, the risk requires putting cash up on the table, metaphorically or or literally. And that that, that can be a bit... That can be a bit too high stakes when you... uh, For, you know, the national broadcaster when you think about the the, the current state of things. Yeah. Do you know what series Jules Holland is on now, by the way? Um, I don't know. uh, 18 47 oh my god that's impressive isn't it uh yeah be, i'd like to reach 47 episodes of this podcast uh, and i think 47 I think seasons i think you i think you make it 47 seasons but he does two seasons a year yeah yeah six episodes each is it only six i think so yeah six or eight um all per season but i suppose if he's got a couple that adds up it does add up yeah <laughs> Um, you know, oh, it's only six episodes per season, but still forty-seven seasons. Yeah, it's uh, he's he's it's over three hundred episodes anyway. He's put the hours in. I'll give him that. Put, uh, that Jill's Holland, he's going places. Uh, is that everything we have to talk about? Anything else you want to? Um, we just sign off and uh, go read Pitchfork. I think we should review the Pitchfork sale. I'd give it personally <laughs> a five point eight, but we have to. But if in the styley of. Uh, of pitchfork we have to agree on the number don't we if we're yeah i'd probably put it higher just because it's quite an impressive stable of publications that they're joining the likes of vanity fair gq that's that's uh the level that it's at now that's impressive for something that started in 1995 as an independent voice i would go i go really high for this sale i'd give it 8.8.5 i guess you can't give it a higher review than to pimp a butterfly <laughs> oh, there's no. a precedent has been <laughs> set. Precedent. So maybe um, maybe we'll agree. Maybe we'll say like seven point. Well, you're you're right actually in the sphere of publication, magazine publication, and and uh, and that whole world. It, I suppose, what they've done, you can't, it couldn't be denied. What what's been done with the site is is incredibly impressive, especially if they if if <coughs> if it's been independent since ninety five, twenty years. Wow. Wait. Yeah. That yeah. that is twenty years. I thought I would just lost five years of my life there. <laughs> um. But yeah, so what, you're giving it a eight point, eight point three, eight point five. So we'll compromise. We say for the sake of diplomacy, um, um, and because you're much more informed about music publications than I am, uh, I'm gonna I will bow to your eight point five. No, we can compromise. We'll we'll meet in the middle. Will we? We'll say seven point seven, seven point five, seven point six, seven point eight. I've seen a lot of point eight reviews lately. It <laughs> seems to be point eight reviews are kind of kind of pretty trendy at the moment. So yeah. And this podcast, I guess, would rate it so far 8.9. I'd really need to know the exact number that Kendrick Lamar uh, review before I could honestly uh, assess. <laughs> oh, it definitely this. got it definitely got over um, over nine anyway. It's a cracker of an album. Can we leave it at that?
No, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. Merit- this, there is this meritocracy is absolutely batshit and saying it's going to be the death of all of us, but not before it kills off art. Yeah, nine point three. Nine point three. a butterfly, and you could go higher. I'll give it nine point six. Don't push it on. <laughs> Breed hates it when I uh, I always ask her, "Oh, what did you think of the movie out of ten? Ah, uh, no, the merit- really, but like it's it's like fucking godfather nine you know um back to the future two nine they're two disparate they're two very different things I, I don't know it's just yeah it just it's the over i think that i think that's that's my biggest problem with the, this kind of the way this type of music criticism or or whatever just the, the numbers game it's just like one number does not represent a piece of art in the context in which is created and released and you know, all, everything so else like, that goes with it. But so you're saying mm, that like you can compare Kendrick Lamar's nine point three to um, this like Death Heaven, a metal band's like nine whatever. This, but this is insane. It's just like we're talking about numbers here. We're no, we're <laughs> no longer talking about art and interpretation well, and and just talking about movies. Like we, me and Brie came out of the Martian last week, and she was saying, "Oh, I really enjoyed it," you know. And I was, and just later on, I was like, "But like." You know, what would you give it out of ten? And she was like, "Oh, that you know, seven something." Are these, these things are designed to to trigger an emotional, some kind of emotional response. I would like to believe, you know, a movie, a, an album, a song, or whatever. You know, are you basically boiling down your own emotional reactions and interpretations of something to a number? That's what I think. That, Maybe that, yeah. You know, what would Pitchfork think? What would they? What would they give this? <laughs> what would they give this podcast? You know, it's God. I want to be rated by Pitchfork so bad, so badly right now. <laughs> God, I'm, I'm absolutely hooked in. But you know, the in, people are just so afraid of in interpretation and and just in you know intuitively just saying I like that, I don't like that, and just being able to kind of stand by that. Yeah, bowing to kind of mm, the online voice, the online um opinion yeah big time and like this is before it would have been enemy would have been the was the pitchfork of yesteryear in terms of the kind of weight it carried yeah. um as far as you know music criticism uh is concerned people just aren't that interested in it anymore i think um just the idea of searching for criticism because everything is at their own fingertips they can just watch or listen to whatever it is that's being talked about and just i think they do think about it for themselves but then they will you know go in search of a number yeah big time i mean actually this would have this would have been an excellent uh what do you call it well can you segue two sections of a you know an interview or like a piece a lead-in this would have been a great lead-in to the genius um thing just uh that we were going to talk about. oh yeah yeah time. yeah did you do you want to talk about that for a little bit yeah we have okay. um about ooh, four minutes four minutes i'm trying to i'm trying uh, i'm trying to remember what the initial uh thought was that i that led me to believe well, that this yeah. would be a great lead-in. Yeah, we met, we were going to link uh, Pitchfork, uh, Enemy, and uh, that website, the annotation website, uh, Genius, mm. which, um, but we kind of forgot about that in the end yeah. um, until you just mentioned it there. Uh, it's been around since 2009, and uh, it, it got a lot of investment in the past couple of years, and then, like, the thing $15 that... $15 million. $15 million. Oh, man. Um and the thing that got it for me was that they got a really great music critic, Sash Freer Jones, from the New Yorker, actually, mm. which is in the Condé Nast stable. He joined uh, uh, G- 
genius. It used to be called Rap Genius. And then I read on this article on The Guardian um, that he had actually left it earlier in the year, which I had missed. And he's gone to the uh, LA Times as a culture editor. As a culture editor, yes. So what did you want to say about it? I think, oh yeah, the lead in, I think, from this was to do with the fact that, you know, you were saying, oh, people no longer need to hold music criticism or like you know publications like enemy or whatever in such high esteem because everything's at their fingertips and it's like this is what they now have at their fingertips genius which is the week you know uh, has been has been described in that guardian article as almost wikipedia like in its nature in that anyone can edit it and often you know you will find very crude and unnecessary or there was accusations of unnecessarily racist or racy um uh edits made to some articles um so you know everything is at your fingertips but again i think that ge- the genius kind of site just from what i've known of it from reading that article and having it flicked through it's just like f- fear of you know fear of being able to stand by your own opinion or just wanting to interpret something for yourself that was it there was a there's something in the last paragraph, the second last paragraph about the Earl sweatshirt album. I don't buy shit. I go. I don't go outside. Or I think that was it. Yeah. It was well, just like this is so difficult to understand, or this is a difficult album yeah. to process we're, without we're, basically without genius. How could you even begin to know what this album is about? It's like yeah. you should only know what it's about relative to how you respond, how you respond to it when you listen to it. I mean, there's a good reason albums don't come with you know manuals or you know guides. Yeah, I mean. It's kind of making listening to an album cold, isn't it? I mean, uh, you fall in love with an album when you're listening to it over and over again and then like a lyric or a song clicks with you. But now Mm. you can instantly like turn on the Earl Sweatshirt sweatshirt, um, album and instead of listening for the lyrics, you have them, you know, I mean, he could have printed them in the the actual physical album itself. But Mm. um, if you're listening on Spotify, say you can just... uh, press play on spotify go to genius.com and just kind of almost follow along almost uh you know singing along straight away it's like spark notes for an <laughs> album <laughs> or, you know yeah, that is what yeah yeah sorry for context spark notes is like uh our little uh succinct guides for studying leaving cert course material like you know what kind of like a yeah, like uh, English like, literature, like for example, or it'd be like you know Kend- Kendrick Lamar's "How to Pimp a Butterfly" for dummies, <laughs> you know. So, but it's basically Spark Notes or or you know a dummies guide for individual albums, which just doesn't I don't know for me this does not compute. Listen to it, you you know see how you feel about it. You might learn something about the music or possibly yourself. Yeah, I find from from a music writer's point of view, I do find. Uh, genius a good uh resource <laughs> you know if you want you know if you're if you're just going back and like just looking for one lyric from like a national song or something it's mm, just yeah. just search for it on genius and it's there and then you have the interpretation and you can just regurgitate the opinion and hopefully, hopefully the teacher won't find out mm, yeah i'm just yeah exactly but i'm just thinking what is the difference between an enemy writer's uh you know article about um say an earl sweatshirt album and anyone literally anyone in the world who can put up their interpretation of that same album on genius which one is supposed to hold more water who reviews the reviewers Mm. yeah that's true the genius um uh, analytics i guess yeah which one gets more clicks young all the uh the young males out there 
<laughs> uh, yeah, we'll have um, clickbait lists soon on Genius, just like the 10 best uh, interpreted lyrics on the site this week. Manny. We do a football podcast together, but we also, <laughs> I was going to say, we listen to pop music together, uh, but we don't do that. Maybe we should do that sometime. But uh, the past couple of weeks, we've been talking about Ryan Adams and Taylor Swift and trying to wrap our heads around what we think about that. So uh, you decided hey i'm gonna talk about this i need a soapbox i was um i was hoping that i was brought in here as kind of uh the ryan ryan adams export export expert Export. but it's more the um taylor swift expert i think um i'm well you like ryan adams i've I've never really um, you've never clicked connected with his style i've never tried to connect with him i guess either i don't know why no ryan adams has always been someone i've had such affinity for he's one of the very few artists i've actually bought physical cds for (laughs) i've actually got i think music lover potter yeah i know it's terrible but i actually have like six or seven of his albums just like the physical releases just because i went through a phase of um just adoring him and it was during his very very proficient period the late 2000s where with the cardinals that he put out uh, at least an album out every year and it was always something kind of oh brilliant cool the new album i have to get it because i enjoyed the last one so much and since then since he lost the cardinals I don't want to say he's been in the wilderness, but he's been kind of striving to be... Um, relevant. I think irrelevant. I think he's been doing as much as he can to like not be any kind of uh, popular artist and critically acclaimed artist. He always seems to be kind of doing one thing and then doing something else the complete opposite to negate what he's just done. So what's he... So what has he done in the past year? So the past year, he released his album last year, his self-titled album, Brian Adams, and that did really well. Yeah, I liked it. I thought it was very good. I thought it was very close to some of the old uh, Cardinal stuff. Got the top five in the US Billboard, did very well um, critically. People were kind of, okay, it went along the same lines as uh, Ashes and Fire, 2011 album. It's like, oh, that's good. And then things went a bit haywire. He uh, went through a divorce with uh, Mandy Moore. A lot of people kind of forget, like, you know, where is this fascination with Taylor Swift, the pop princess, coming from? He was married to Mandy Moore for six years. Previous Uh, pop princess. He's got a thing for pop princesses. um, Prince I. (laughs) The plural of Prince I. Um, And I think this was one of his things to kind of get him over his divorce, focusing intently on this pet project. I mean, that's all it is, isn't it? It's a pet project. But if anyone follows Ryan Adams on Twitter, he takes pet projects and pets very seriously. He's all the time tweeting about cats, funny cat videos, cute cat videos, funny bear videos. He, unironically? Unironically. I think I unironically. See, that's the thing with Ryan Adams. You can't, you don't know what Ryan Adams is, is thinking. Is he, unir- is he ironic? Is he unironic? Is he trying to be funny? Is he not being funny? Is he serious? 
you don't know like one of my quite the first question i sat down with this uh, review of the album was why why is this album not why is it been made because again it's a pet project it's like oh he really liked the album just released the album throw it out there no he's put real he put uh, studio time behind it uh, publicity he's been on the daily show playing the songs daily show with uh, trevor noah trevor noah yeah and i mean first musical his, guest his first musical guest was him doing a cover of a taylor swift song couldn't i couldn't listen to it this is this is why i wanted to talk about it with you as as a ryan adams fan just because like i thought it was a dire performance he, he played two songs and i could barely listen like i think i fast forwarded through them and the thing is one of the songs he played is bad blood that's one of the better songs oh and he slows it down so much he slows it down he strips it of all it's fun and that's the thing i mean ryan adams is no stranger to cover songs i mean he did wonderwall which is also held which is held up as one of the worst and one of the best cover songs of all time. Yeah. And Noel Gallagher has actually come out and said, like, when he plays Wonderwall, he plays it by himself, and he plays Ryan Adams' version <laughs> of his song, which is a massive compliment, really, yeah, that yeah. he's owned that cover version. But it seems he just, with this album, with the 1989, which I also object to, I think he should have called the 1974 the year he was born. <laughs> <laughs> but, and again, that shows that 15-year gap and... I don't know what his reasoning behind it is. Yeah, I mean, we both like the Taylor Swift album. Yeah, you know, it's, 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 it's it's a really good pop It's a really pop production produced and hooks and everything. It's it's brilliant. I will I, I want to make one more, a few more points just about Ryan Adams and his alienating of his fan base or what he does. Uh, when he lost the Cardinals, lost his way a bit, released a metal album. Um, started uh, disowning the Americana sound and everything. That's, that's the music I fell into. That's not the music I love. The music I love is metal. And he just kind of fell up. I kind of went a bit mad with that. And So he doesn't want to like be um, put down into one genre or one, you know, kind of just be pointed at as, oh, that's, you know, the Americana guy or the Exactly, guy. yeah. But then that's what he does. And then he releases loads of albums that way. And then he does a, an Americana album of a pop album. And I just don't know what his reasoning behind his decisions at all times are. He seems to just try to be like, nope. Not that guy. Yeah. Which is stupid. Yeah. I mean, like, t- Taylor Swift-wise, what, what I was uh, going to say was that um, she's kind of being so ubiquitous at the moment. Like, I mean, she has been ubiquitous for the past year, mm-hmm. just uh, seemingly everywhere. Mm-hmm. And uh, when she's been playing uh, her US tour at the moment, like, she's got, you know, Beck coming up one night with her. And, you know, she's trying all these different cities she's playing. Uh, she's bringing up different stars, different types of stars, pop stars, sports stars, etc., etc., and trying to get cred off them. And then we were talking about Father John Misty releasing his mm-hmm. uh, version of um, one of the songs. I can't remember which one it was. He released um, the song up online and kind of went away. Father John Misty, who's released a credit critically acclaimed album this year Great, yeah. then he then he came back like that night and he saw that like usa today had blogged about it and you know everyone was talking about it and everybody wanted to talk to him and he was like oh i can't deal with this and so he took down the cover and then taylor swift's people according to uh father john misty got in touch with him and he was and they were like what are you doing why are you bring taking that song down that's really fun that's uh you know really cool what you're doing and he was claiming that they didn't want to be seen as the bad guys that they were the ones telling him to take it down yeah. when they weren't they wanted to be seen as kind of the cool guys and that's what i don't like it's 
Is is this what this is? Everybody just wants to come off cool from it. I think so. I Ryan think, Adams, Taylor Swift. Yeah, like that Taylor Swift comes with getting Beck and all these people on. It's like, hey, I hang out with the cool... I mean, I was actually looking up um, like Taylor Swift and Ryan Adams' um, Twitter feed the yesterday just to see what they had said about it or whatever. And then uh, Taylor Swift had put up um, a picture of like her new... Uh, her new favorite songs at the moment, and they were all so um, like try hardish, uh, cool indie pop songs. Oh, yeah. And it was just uh, it was it seemed like she's just trying very hard. Like she didn't even have one like Beyonce song on there. It was Carly Jepsen. No, 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 no. This like you know ironic or unironic uh, song. She's just trying striving so hard to be taken seriously. It's like oh no, I love this type of music. This is my kind of music. This is beautiful. And then. Ryan Adams, when he's covering Taylor Swift, is kind of like, I'm a fun guy. I've got a sense of humor. Remember, <laughs> like, for the past 15, 20 years where I stopped a gig because a guy shouted, play Summer 69, gave him 30 bucks and told him to flip off and I would not play until that guy was gone. Like, oh, no, I have a sense of humor now. The sense of humor has developed overnight. How's it going? <laughs> and I just, I don't get why Ryan Adams would be buying into it so much. Yeah, I don't know. I mean... Obviously, getting a kick from Taylor Swift is a huge thing for anybody nowadays. But yeah. it's, you just wonder, like, is it going to be more than a novelty listen? Um, and and so, like, when you listen to it, like, did you enjoy it? Uh, did it feel like its own album, or did it just feel like a joke? It, um, Ryan Adams. I have it laid down here. It just, it's it goes through a myriad of different styles. And not, it's the same style, but just kind of outcomes, I will say. That there's a couple of songs, I think the big singles of the album, of Taylor Swift's album, like Bad Blood, Style, uh, Shake It Off, Ryan Adams' cover versions are horrendous. The big songs. The big songs. They they get murdered, that he tries to slow down. I think which one he tries to slow down? Um, Blank Space. And it just sounds awful. And... Um, style is this kind of weird loud guitar rock song and it sounds awful yeah. and it seems he's just kind of like this is kind of what it sounds like and then there's a few other songs i mean on his album like welcome to new york and um out of the woods they're actually okay songs like they seem they go okay and there's one or two more i'm kind of like that's fine then towards the end of the album it seems like he settled for right i just have to do these songs and then I have the album done. This, the, you know, it's the last paragraph in your uh, dissertation. It's kind of like <laughs> I just have to write something. I just have to touch on it, and it's done. It's fine. And as a whole, I mean, both people are saying, "Oh, this is great. This is great." I think it's not terrible. The album. Yeah. So there go, ergo, people are kind of like, "Hey, it's great." No, it's just not terrible. It's not good, but it's not terrible. Well, you said um. Before we started recording, that Welcome to New York was one of the better covers. One of the better ones, yeah. And again, because maybe... Uh, like, it's one of the worst was, songs on the album, uh, on Taylor Swift's album, I think. Again, personally, I had to, um, like, find Taylor Swift's album just because it's not on YouTube or Spotify, which is very what do annoying. You do? Here's a fun fact. Go to the uh, shop and buy it on CD and <laughs> add it to your Ryan Adams collection. <laughs> uh, here's a fun fact. The uh, Ryan Adams, 1989... Went into the US Billboard charts at number seven. At number eight, 1989 by Taylor Swift <laughs> in its 48th week wow. on the Billboard albums. So, I mean, like, it's not as if, you know, 
Taylor Swift gets any big push from this. I, 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 she, uh, she, she opens herself up to new fans. I mean, the thing is, is that it was pointed out that uh, publications were writing about Ryan Adams' covers album of 1989, mm-hmm. uh, but they had never covered the original album. The likes of New Yorker and Pitchfork, for example, never reviewed the album. Pitchfork did slate the Ryan Adams one, just say that. Yeah, <laughs> I, I have it up in front of me. They they say that it's a product of the internet and that it's just Ryan Adams grabbing for attention. And there's very little else that you can say from it. It's very, if people who know me, I will disagree with anything Pitchfork say to the ends of the earth. I have to agree there. It seems like a semi-pet joke pet project thing that got out of hand and i think in around about three years time i think ryan adams will regret it he should like oh maybe i should have taken that time to write focus on my next album or take time away from the spotlight instead of being kind of like he'll be hounded for like bad blood to be played at his next gigs and stuff and that's just not the artist he is he's not fun like that yeah it was actually Blank Space that Father Jam Misty covered. Um, Pitchfork say that uh, Adam's 1989, for all its sincerity and technical execution, is ultimately hollow because it's nothing but context. There's nothing surrounding it. Um, uh, the unexpected match of singer and song, the details of the release. And there's what you bring to it, your relationship to the music of Swift and Adams, your demographic profile, your feelings on rock and pop and covers in general. But there's no essential reason for it to exist. That's that's exactly it. Why does it exist? There's no real reason. If he did an EP with like three or four of his favorite songs, that's cool. That like that'll give Taylor Swift a bit of, bun- a, bit of a push. He He's not seen to dedicate all this time and effort into it. And it's kind of a fun little thing. But the entire album, I just think it's completely misguided. I mean, why would you want to listen to this when you can listen to the fun, original uh, pop album? And that's the thing, when you're kind of like, oh, this guitar line isn't too bad, but then you're kind of, you start here, right now, it's going, blah, blah. It kind of sounds like Bob Dylan on some of these cover versions, which is very strange. But it's kind of, this is time wasted away from proper pop music. Like, like yeah. Brian, you stay what you do best, the Americana sound. It's been a while since he did that best by the sounds of it. I do think it's good, but there's just nothing great. There's been nothing great. And I think these types of things. I want to bring uh, a comparison between him and Ben Foles, one of my favourite artists in the world. Ben Foles <laughs> has completely suffered because he's dedicated so much time to random pet projects. Not exactly like this, but kind of like this. And I think his artistic um, influence and his... Um, favor with more well-regarded places like Pitchfork or Rolling Stone, whatever, has taken a hit because of these flights of fancy mm-hmm. that they ta- ultimately take away from your body work and your uh, critical um, of your output. Yeah, critical of your output. So yeah, that's just the way I think about it. It's just a bad step. So that was a wide-ranging discussion with first Chris Summers and Padraig O'Mahony discussing a wide variety of topics. Hopefully you got something out of the past hour or so. And if you've made it this far, wow, thanks so much for listening. You can subscribe on iTunes, The Point of Everything, uh, Mixcloud and Soundcloud as well. 
you know the point of everything it's everywhere uh so yeah if you could tell a friend that'd be really nice uh tweet if you have any thoughts on the show why not let me know on twitter at tpoe blog on facebook the point of everything uh we'll be back with another show at some point next week so have a good weekend folks (laughs) 